Welcome back to my podcast. I am Camilla, your high vibe advocate. Give me 15 minutes and I will give you a high vibe world. So just a few weeks ago, I did a podcast on the different types of spiritual relationships, which touched upon the subject of soul contracts. And I mentioned that although it may seem on the surface, like those who believe in soul contracts also believe that life is predetermined by destiny, and, uh, you know, there's still, that, that there's no free will. I said that there is still free will in that theory. And then recently I was speaking with one of my girlfriends about free will and she asked my thoughts on that and, um, and she suggested I do a podcast on it. So today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about free will. If you are an avid reader and a lover of philosophy and history like I am, then you know that for hundreds of years, philosophers and theologists have almost unanimously held that civilization as we know it depends on a widespread belief in free will. Our codes of ethics, for example, assume that we can freely choose between right and wrong. In Christianity, this is known as moral liberty, the capacity to discern and pursue the good instead of merely being compelled by the appetites and desires. Immanuel Kant, a famous Enlightenment philosopher, reaffirmed this link between freedom and goodness because he argued that if we are not free to choose, then it would make no sense to say that we ought to choose the path of righteousness. Because how can we say to someone they ought to choose something when it's not a choice? In our society, the assumption of free will runs through every aspect of politics, at least when it comes to the United States, that's the case, like from welfare provisions to criminal law. It basically permeates the popular culture and it underpins the American dream, you know, the belief that anyone can make something of themselves no matter what their start in life is. In fact, Barack Obama famous, famously wrote in, uh, in um, The Audacity of Hope, you know, the book, that American values are rooted in a basic optimism about life and a faith in free will. And here's the thing, though. Ever since Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of the Species about 150 years ago, Science has grown steadily bolder in their claim that all human behavior um, can be explained through the clockwork laws of cause and effect. We have all come across the nature versus nurture debate at some point in our lives, I'm sure. And, um, And that's the whole idea of are our actions the byproduct of our DNA or the outcome of what has been imprinted on us by the environment? You know, were we born this way or were we raised this way? Not necessarily by our parents, but by our experiences in general. There is impressive evidence accumulated for the importance of each of these factors. But Whether scientists supported one or the other or a mix of both, they all have assumed one thing. 
that our deeds must be determined by something. And brain scanners have enabled us to peer inside the living person's head, right? And it, it has really revealed an intricate network of neurons. And um, it has allowed scientists to reach broad agreement that these networks are shaped by both genes and the environment. But there's also agreement in the scientific community that the firing of new neurons determines not just some and not just most, but in fact, all of our thoughts, hopes, memories, and dreams. And the thing about it is, this firing of neurons does not appear to be a choice. There was an important American physio physiologist named uh, Benjamin Libet that did some great experiments in the 1980s, which showed electrical activity builds up in a person's brain before that person moves her hand, for example. Libet showed that this buildup occurs before the person consciously makes a decision to move. Like it's coming from somewhere else. <laughs> We don't know what sparks these neurons. So the conscious experience of deciding to act, which we usually associate with free will, appears to be an add-on, you know, a post hoc reconstruction of events that occurs after the brain has already set the act in motion. We know that changes, um, you know, the, well, we know that there's lots of things that, that change brain chemistry. So we know that changes to brain chemistry can alter behavior, you know, because if that wasn't true, then alcohol or antipsychotics would have no effect, but they do. And the same holds true for brain structure, you know, cases of ordinary adults becoming murderers or pedophiles after developing a brain tumor demonstrate how dependent we are on the physical properties of our gray stuff, you know, of the gray matter. And the 20th century nurture versus nature debate prepared us to think for ourselves as shaped by influences beyond our control. But it also left some room, at least in the popular imagination, for the possibility that we could all overcome our circumstances or our genetics and become the author of our own destiny. The challenge posed by neuroscience is more radical, though. It describes the brain as a physical system like any other, and it suggests that we no more will it to operate in a particular way than we do our hearts to beat. The contemporary scientific image of human behavior is one of neurons firing, causing other neurons to fire, causing our thoughts and deeds in an unbroken chain that stretches back to our birth and beyond. We don't know if, you know, something is causing those firings of neurons. That we can't trace, but we know that it's not us. We are not the ones that are making that decision. In principle, We are therefore completely predictable, right? If we could understand any individual's brain architecture and chemistry well enough, then we could in theory predict that individual's response to any given stimulus with 100% accuracy. And this is super scary because it kind of reminds me of Minority Report. <laughs> that idea presents a little bit of a problem for the societal model that we have because in our society, 
we believe that people are their own masters and that most people, except for the few who have uh, you know, mental illnesses or some sort of other abnormal impairment, choose their own actions and could therefore have chosen to act differently and are therefore to blame for their actions. And when people stop believing that they are free agents and they stop seeing themselves as blameworthy for their actions. And that could become an easy excuse for people to get away with just about anything, right? But you see, that very thought or conclusion that people would use this determinism, you know, this, this pre-existing, this, this, you know, out-of-control theory as an excuse to act wrongfully or selfishly is in and of itself based on free will still. Because it's, you know, the assumption that there, that there is still a choice and that one would be making the wrong or selfish choice and using the lack of free will as an excuse to have done so, you know? So the thing is, if there truly is no free will, then that wouldn't be possible. A person would be naturally good or naturally bad they would, in our societal views. And good and bad are very subjective. But it's an interesting thought, right? So to answer my friend's question, personally... I find that we do have some level of free will within the confinements of our predetermined functioning firing neurons. <laughs> free will and determinism are not the opposites that they're often, you know, taken to be. They simply describe our behavior at different levels. We should focus on our ability in any given setting to generate a wide range of options for ourselves and to decide among those options without external constraint. Because obviously if somebody puts a gun to our head, we're going to make certain decisions that are self-preserving. But if we have choices, then even with our predetermined, you know, pre-existing, completely out of our control firing neurons, we're still going to make choices. And humans are animals. So much of our actions um, is certainly instinctual and comes from nature and of course whether there is a god or a greater force or even a soul contract that controls that is up to the individual to believe in but as humans we have greater advantage over other animals because we are able to generate options for ourselves and make decisions in a complex and changing environment humans you know have these massive brains we have these huge brains and they are much better at thinking up and weighing options than other animals are Our range of options are much wider and we are, in a meaningful way, freer as a result. And if you are a creationist, then you may attribute all of that to having eaten from the tree of knowledge. And I cannot say whether you're right or wrong because I have no idea. But I think that the positive aspect of determinism is the ability to bring more empathy towards one another when people make perceived mistakes and our ability to forgive ourselves for straying from what society has made us believe is right and wrong. Um, because no one has caused himself, right? No one chose his genetics, you know, his genes, or, or the environment in which he was born. Therefore, no one bears the ultimate responsibility for who he is, you know, the part that's predetermined, or what he is inclined to do. It's a lot like the sentiment of Barack Obama's 2012, you didn't build that speech, you know, in which he called atten- the attention um, or he called attention to the uh, external factors that help bring about success. He was also not surprised that it drew much <laughs> a sharp reaction from those who, uh, who want to believe that there were, you know, that they were always the sole architects of their achievements. But he argues that much 
uh, of what we are. You know, we must accept that much of that, um, in much of those outcomes of our lives, they are determined by disparities in nature and nurture. So, so that we can take practical measures to remedy the misfortune and help everyone to fulfill their potential. And understanding how we can remedy the natural imbalance that exists will be, you know, the work of decades, perhaps even centuries. Um, You know, maybe as we know more and more about the brain and more and more about our own minds. In many years, that work will likely result in more compassion, you know, offering more and more precise help to those who find themselves in a bad place. And when the threat of punishment is necessary as a deterrent, which inevitably it will be, it will in many cases be balanced with efforts to strengthen rather than to undermine the capacities for autonomy that are essential for anyone to lead a decent life. You know, those choices that I mentioned earlier, which can also simply be called opportunities, those are the determining factors, you know, that are going to give some sort of free will so that even those people that have uh, questionable predetermined characteristics would still at least try to change that gray stuff in their brain and the kind of will that leads to success you know seeing positive options for oneself making good decisions and sticking to them can be cultivated and those at the bottom of society are the most in need of that cultivation and you may be listening to this and thinking that this is just me making an attempt to have my cake and eat it too and that's precisely what I'm doing because after all why wouldn't I attempt to have it you know if that's possible if it seems possible then why wouldn't I you know I would like to retain the best parts of free will belief system and uh, ditch the worst part of free will (laughs) belief system and I would also like to be able to use determinism to help me forgive myself and others for things that would otherwise result in a lot of pain and suffering from lack of understanding and forgiveness and because I really do believe that there are certain things that are just completely animal instincts we are animals um President Obama, who was both, def- you know, who both defended a faith in free will and argued that we are not the sole architects of our fortune, has had to learn what a fine line this is to to tread because um, it is like there will be people who dislike you from both ends of the spectrum who don't agree with you. Yet it might be what we need to rescue the American dream, and indeed. Many of our ideas about civilization, you know, and the world over actually, and the scientific age, I think having this balance is important to salvage it all, really. And as for the spiritual part of me, which truly is most of me, how do I reconcile free will and the existence of a soul contract? Well, I know a lot of people are asking, like, wouldn't a soul contract mean that I have already signed up? for a specific life that I have, you know, basically I have a destiny. So all the choices have been removed and I should just do what feels right, even when it feels like it's wrong for others or even if it wrongs others. Isn't that self-serving? Well, our lives are not set in stone. Only certain experiences are. And if the theory is correct, you know, the soul contract theory, then we each created a soul contract slash plan, right? prior to entering our current life. And um, we can see it as kind of like a checklist of specific tasks that we wanted to accomplish in this lifetime. Lessons and our experiences to help us grow spiritually. 
We did not each bring a play-by-play manual, though. Every second, every day is not detailed on our soul contract. We decided not only which lessons and experiences to accomplish, but we also decided who we would have as players in our life game, what abilities we would bring to the, to the current lifetime. When it comes to, you know, to other things, nothing else was predetermined. So that's when the trippy, tricky part comes. Because most of us forgot our plans, you know, when we started living our physical life, or at least that's the, the theory. So our so contract is still in effect, but we don't necessarily remember it. But our pre-scheduled plans will still try to occur on target. And these targeted events and experiences are usually spread out throughout our lifetime. And it will work really hard to manifest themselves for us. Everything else, though, is free will. Um, Free will comes into our lives daily. Each thought and action or reaction is free will. Things like listening or not listening to our spirit guides or our higher self... All of that is free will. How we deal with the upcoming events or experiences, all free will. So you could be asking, how does manifesting or the power of attraction play into this? Because if we already have a checklist, then why are we bothering trying to attract things that may not be on the list? The thing you got to remember is that we are only limited by what we each have created for our soul plan. So what does that mean? It means that if you chose to not be a pro baller in this lifetime, then you can practice until the cow comes home and you still not get it. You're never going to be a pro baller because it's not part of your plan, right? If you pre-chose to not have a specific ability until you reach age 36, then you won't be able to access that ability until you're 36. You're only limited by your own soul plan or contract. Everything else is it's game, you know, if you have doubt about manifesting, you know, like you're creating mental blocks, like, can I really do this? Am I worthy of this? Then, you know, your own free will, including your doubt will manifest that, which means that you cannot manifest or attract creations if you uncreate them with your own self-doubt. So that's the whole thing about the law of attraction. Like the universe doesn't know if you're trying to attract something or not. It just tries to give you whatever's most present in your mind. That's why, you you know, it's important to kind of not be so fearful. But remember the part where I said most of us forget our soul contract? Well, that's the thing. If you can't remember, then how do you know if you're able to manifest this or that or not? You know, your intuition will help you you know be guided towards the things that you that don't violate the soul contract and then you can work on manifesting those things and your intuition will also guide you towards the major things that you must accomplish the things that must happen according to your contract for example if you must meet a specific person and connect with them to work on ascension no matter how difficult it is and no matter how wrong others may make you feel for being attracted to that person Nature will guide you there and you will lose any fight that you put up because you can't fight nature. It always wins. And even if it turns out to have just been a lesson instead of a blessing, then it's a lesson that you needed to learn. So it still had to happen. And I've gone over time. So that is all we have for today. Thank you for being with me and for listening to me and for being a part of my journey. I am Camilla, your High Vibe Advocate. Looking forward to your outreach at highvibeadvocate.com and your follow on Instagram at highvibeadvocate. And as always, looking forward to our next meeting right here on my channel. 
See you next Wednesday.